listening to sermon audio from Grace Mosaic, a congregation of the Grace DC Network in Northeast DC. For more information about our church, visit us online at gracemosaic.org. Margaret Walker was a 20th century African-American poet. She was born to a preacher's family in 1915 in Birmingham, Alabama, and eventually became a leading figure in the Chicago Black Renaissance. One of her poems was entitled Amos 1963, and it went something like this. Amos is a shepherd of suffering sheep, a pastor preaching in the depths of Alabama, preaching social justice to the Southland, preaching to the poor a new gospel of love. With the words of a God and the dreams of a man, Amos is our loving shepherd of the sheep, crying out to the stricken land, you have sold the righteous for silver and the poor for a pair of shoes. My God is a mighty avenger and he shall come with his rod in his hand preaching to the persecuted and the disinherited millions, preaching love and justice to the solid southern land. Amos is a prophet with a vision of brotherly love, with a vision and a dream of the red hills of Georgia, when justice shall roll down like water and righteousness like a mighty stream. Amos is our shepherd standing in the shadow of our God, tending his flocks all over the hills of Albany and the seething streets of Selma and of bitter Birmingham. This is just one example of how the prophet Amos has held a a powerful place in the African-American Christian imagination. It shows how the prophet's focus on the biblical theme of justice wasn't just theological, or theoretical, it was deeply personal. It was believed to have powerful implication for real present-day struggles against injustice. Amos, Margaret Walker reminds us, wasn't just preaching to Israel. He was preaching to Selma, to Birmingham, to Washington, D.C. I wonder if if you were to write a poem or, or a song or maybe sketch a scene using the themes that we're encountering in our study of Amos and then apply them to the streets of present-day America, the streets of D.C., what might that piece of yours sound like or look like? In today's passage, we encounter two more angles on Amos's central theme, justice. And you'll remember that according to the Bible, The call to justice is simply the call to give people what they deserve, what they are owed. So what are people owed? Well, wrongdoers are owed punishment, of course, the penalties of the law. That's the sense of justice that most of us are familiar with, that most of us are maybe comfortable with. But justice in the Bible is more than that. It also means giving people what they deserve as people made in God's image. Crowned with God's glory, wrongdoers are owed punishment, but image bearers are owed honor, fairness, love. This, too, is the justice that flows from the very heart of God. 
But as Amos looked out upon Israel and Samaria, their capital city, he saw the most vulnerable people in society, the poor, the needy, the powerless, being taken advantage of, trampled upon, exploited, and the two words we find in today's passage, oppressed and crushed. In other words, the prophet saw a land flowing with unacknowledged, anti-image-bearing injustice. Now in chapter 4, Amos calls our attention to two fresh angles on the topic, two additional themes. First, the theme of benefiting from harm, and second, the theme of resisting arrest. Let's take a look. First, benefiting from harm. Notice in verse 1, Hear this word, you cows of Bashan, who are on the mountain of Samaria, who oppress the poor, who crush the needy. Now, it's almost never a good thing to be called a cow, and it's not a compliment here either. But Amos isn't just calling people names. Bashan was one of the most fertile parts of that region. It was famous for its lush pasture lands. It was also famous for its cows, which were, shall we say, happier than most. Of course they were. They got to graze on the greenest, lushest of pastures. And so by all accounts in the ancient world, the cows of Bashan were known to be very large, very healthy, very, very plump. And so in calling the people of Israel cows of Bashan, Amos is declaring to them, you have fattened yourselves on the oppression of others. Here's a question worth considering. What are ways that you and I personally benefit from injustice? What are ways the oppression of our neighbors actually works to our profit? Now, we don't typically think about that question. In fact, we tend to think about social injustices like poverty or institutional racism, like we talk about natural disasters. Uh, You know, they're terrible occurrences uh, with lots of victims who sure deserve our pity, but there's no real perpetrator and no one to blame. Crimes without a criminal, robberies without a robber. But Amos is reminding us that somebody went home with the loot. Somebody had a bigger meal that night. Moo. The Bible is reminding us that injustice always works for the gain, the benefit of someone. But there's one more thing to notice. Commentators point out that Amos seems to have chosen the feminine word cows rather than, say, bulls, because he's actually referring to, speaking to the women of the city. And of course, in that day and in that ancient culture, the oppression that Amos is describing all throughout this book would have been carried out primarily by the men of the city. They were the employers withholding wages from their workers, They were the judges distorting justice in the courts. These men were the merchants squeezing out the poor in the marketplace. Most of the book of Amos is focused on those guys. But here, 
In this chapter, by calling out the women of the city, Amos is focusing on addressing those who benefit from injustice, those who say to their husbands, bring that we may drink, those who benefit even if they weren't the ones doing the plundering themselves. He's talking to those who didn't do the plundering, but who love to enjoy the plunder. Verses 2 and 3, Amos describes a scene of judgment. The days are coming when foreign armies will drag you away as captives like fishermen drag fish out of the water. You'll be led out of your city through breaches, walls broken down by enemy armies. He's describing the exile, this violent and terrible form of judgment that would befall the people of Israel. And so, of course, he's saying that indeed the women, the glad beneficiaries of injustice, and not just its perpetrators, they too are under God's judgment. Recently, I was thinking about the problem of police brutality, which, of course, after the murder of George Floyd is the issue that ignited the current public outcry for racial justice. And, of course, it's a terribly complicated issue. Loads of gratitude and admiration for those of you in our congregations who work in law enforcement. My family and I have been well served by MPD here locally, especially on a few notable occasions. But that, too, is actually a part of the point that I'm getting at. I've been thinking, reflecting. I've been thinking about the the power of fear and the way that we've been, perhaps all of us, have been trained to believe that the best way to keep our cities safe is to nip crime in the bud. In fact, to nip it even where there is no bud. To respond to even the hint of the suspicion of the possibility of a crime with lethal force because, and we've really come to believe this, it's far better to overreach than to underreach. But what we have failed to see or maybe refused to see is that this approach to public safety comes and has too often come at the price of black life. In a world where every black man is viewed as a menacing threat, as a bud to be nipped, There's a neck to be kneed on for 8 minutes, 46 seconds, until an unarmed breather of breath and bearer of God's image breathes his last breath. Do you hear what I'm, I'm saying? A few people wake up in the morning saying, I want my black neighbors to be harmed by the police. But many of us do wake up and say, I want to be safe. And I want my family to be safe no matter what the cost, no matter who must pay it. I've recently been haunted by the thought that I might wake up and say, as long as my son comes home safe, no matter the cost to the black sons of our city, to the black sons of our church, my son must come home safe. Bring that we may drink. Beloved, fellow cows of Bashan, injustice always works for the gain of someone. Even those who aren't personally or directly involved in that injustice's perpetration. 
The Bible teaches us to confess that sometimes I am more whole because my neighbor has been crushed. So what should we do, fellow cows? What should we do? Turn from our sin, return to the Lord. Yes, but that brings us to our second of two themes, resisting arrest. Because repentance is harder in our souls than we want to admit it really is. We resist God's call to turn. In verses 6 through 13 of this passage, Amos reminds God's people that even when he confronted them with their sins of injustice, God's people have a long, long history of resisting arrest. And of course, arrest, not the kind of arrest that comes with handcuffs, but with the kind that comes with the hand of God's discipline. Uh, The kind of arrest that comes not with physical force, but with the spiritual force of God's word. God arresting us, arresting our attention, calling us out in our sin. And yet time and again, we resist and resist and resist. God reminds Israel that he came to his people again and again throughout their history over the generations. I came to you in famine, he says in verse 6. I came to you in drought, verse 7. I came to you in pestilence, he tells them in verse 9. I came to you even in military defeat, he says in verses 10 and 11. These things were meant to soften your heart, humble you to repentance, to grab your attention. But five times with devastating repetition, Amos repeats, yet you did not return to me. You did not return to me. You did not return to me. Friends, we really need to be honest with ourselves, with God, with one another in community, how much we resist God's call to repentance for injustice. The ways in which we perpetrate it, the ways in which we gladly benefit from it. Surely the American church has been confronted time and again with its unconscionable silence before and even its cooperation at times with racial justice in America. And can we pray that the church returns to the Lord in repentance, but can we also pray for our church or ourselves individually? This is a a tiring endeavor to be sure, exhausting of heart to be confronted again and again. But are we turning to the Lord? Are we finding refreshment in his forgiveness, in his grace? Are we finding fresh power to do well, to obey, to do justice, to love neighbor? Here's a couple of things that our passage tells us. Uh, First, what should we do? Don't resist arrest with religion. Sometimes there's an assumption that, well, Christians couldn't possibly contribute to harm in such a devastating way, especially if their good intentions aren't to do that. In verses 4 and 5, Amos, with a little bit of sarcasm, uh, invites the people to, well, go ahead and do what you've been doing, bringing insincere worship, your sacrifices, your tithes, your thanksgivings that we use too often to conceal our sin, or even to bargain with God and to compensate for our sins of injustice. 
Listen, the promises of God's mercy don't give us impunity. They actually give us heightened responsibility to love as we have been loved. To care for people in their vulnerability, even as God has cared for us in our vulnerability. Don't resist using religion. Don't resist flawed messengers either. You notice God used time and again these things called famine, called drought, called even enemy military attack. And yet God lets them know they should have responded in in repentance because each time God was behind it. Listen to the verbs and the subject of these verbs. He says, I gave you, I withheld, I sent, I struck you, I killed, I carried, I sent among you, I made, I overthrew, I killed. God is speaking through even flawed messengers to us. So even as you look out upon the scene in the streets of our city or around the country, or you're passed on different articles and perspectives, as you read, as you ponder, as you engage with other people in conversation, do not be so quick just to critique. Do not be so quick to dismiss simply because you see a flaw or even significant flaws in the messengers themselves. Use the discernment of Christ and see where truth may lie. See where God may be speaking to you, where God may be inviting you to see the truth, to repent by his mercy. But most of all, do let your heart become soft. Do run to Jesus. You might have noticed an astonishing thing, a tiny detail, but so significant to this passage. How many times again and again God refers to himself By his proper name, his personal name, the Lord, Yahweh. It's translated in our English translations in small caps, all caps. You see it there again and again and again. In other words, every time God is reminding them that he's a God who sticks with them, even in their sin, even in their injustice. He does not give up on the promises that he made. Yes, even generations ago, as stubborn as they have been, so stubborn is he in keeping his promises. God is a God of perseverance, even with the sinful. And again and again, with every reminder in this passage of the people's unrepentance, immediately following afterwards was a reminder of God's covenant promise, his personal commitment to his wayward people. Yet you did not return to me, declares who? The Lord, the God of mercy, the God of kindness, the God who arrests us with his love. The God who came in the person of his son to be a shepherd to his people, who not only saw his suffering people, spoke to his suffering people, but suffered with his people more than that, who suffered in place of his people, bearing their sins, suffering injustice on their behalf, even at their own hands. This is Jesus who arrests us with his love. Yes, Amos is a shepherd of suffering sheep. Jesus is the shepherd who became suffering sheep himself. Jesus is the one who loves us so 
even in the darkest hours. Jesus is the one who bears our darkness and invites us not only to see him and know him in his patience, but through him to bear with one another with patience. To be long-suffering and forbearing with a community, with people who are growing and processing in different ways and at different paces. That even as we grow in our racial righteousness as a community, that we would suffer with one another walking alongside each other, not impatiently, but patiently, forbearing each other, even in our flaws, bringing grace to the seething streets of Washington, D.C. O cows of Bashan, do you know the mercy of our shepherd? Do you know his grace? Would you extend that grace not only to one another in love, in the community of Christ, but most especially to our suffering neighbors, our friends, even our brothers and sisters. You love even as you think. Mosaic. For more information about our church, visit us online at gracemosaic.org.